Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Brendan Escott with you, 1233 here in Edmonton. Got to tell you that some guests on Oilers Now receive gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff that Oilers Now sent you. Cam Moon joining me in studio. It's a pleasure to finally meet Cam in person here. I mean, we've obviously done quite a few segments with you. You're kind of the resident uh, WHL expert for us, Cam. Huh. So we'll, throwing that term around loose, but we'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But I posed the, the question on the text line: Who is your one sports personality, past or present, that you're taking to dinner, and why? Hmm. You know, I heard that on the drive-in, and it got me thinking. It's unfortunate I can't say Reggie Dunlop from Slapshot because that would be the guy for me. I would love to have uh, dinner with him. I would probably go Warren Moon. I'm a huge Eskimos fan. He was a big part of the five in a row, then went on to a great NFL career. I would love to hear his thoughts on uh, coming from the U.S. to Edmonton. I wonder if he even, you know, before that, you know, knew where it was or, or what he knew about the CFL and his experiences here while playing for the Eskimos. I hear that it's a dramatically different game, that you've got the field size, you've got the extra players, so watching a quarterback be able to adapt to those those nuances the way that he did, and the same can be said about Flutie, of course, yeah. but you know that he's an astute guy because of how he handled that transition. Oh, yeah, it, it's a, a completely different game, and his ability to to pick up the CFL game that quick and be that much of an impact right off the get go, it was and of course part of a a great team that uh, you know put up the g- unbelievable numbers and yeah I, I just think he'd be an interesting guy to talk with. Well, we know that you are, um, and we know that you you've now forged quite a career for yourself as a play by play man in the WHL. Just as a matter of somebody who who wants to get there one yeah. day, just t- talk to me a little bit about your career path after you finished up in the WHL in the uh, I guess the early nineties. What happened? Yeah. Well, then I uh, I took advantage of the education money um, for those that don't know, and and it was in its infancy when I went through, as compared to where it is now. It has evolved and it has become very ludicrous. It's it or it is uh, or lucrative, I should say. It's very. Uh, it's just a great program. Anyway, so I went to school at Nate and uh, took the radio and television arts program. Can't say enough good things about the fine folks at Nate, mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Galenza and the whole crew. They do a great job there. Uh, so I went to school for a couple of years. In my second year, I got really, really lucky. Uh, they wanted somebody at TSN to, to do color on the WHL games at that point. And I landed up doing some O and some Q games. So while I was at school, I was, I guess I was learning on the job. It was tough though, because you're doing it at a national level and they expect you to be real good. And I sure wasn't. (laughs) And it it was really hard, but it was fun to see the whole country. Um, So I did that for a few years while I worked hockey schools in the summer. 
And then I got my first play-by-play job was in Nanaimo in the BC Hockey League. The so Clippers? yeah, I went out for the did the play-by-play for the the mighty Clip ship. And uh, I was the goalie coach for two of the three years that I was there and helped around the hockey school and worked at the radio station. It's junior A. you got to do a lot of different things, you know, mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. ends meet. And then after three years there, I uh, got lucky enough to get the opportunity in Red Deer and been there ever since. So how many years have you been in central Alberta now? 21. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. And so Quite obviously a shift. You've seen you know some of the nhl's best talent past and present come through that league is there anything that stands out to you amongst the rest in terms of just a moment or a game or anything like that in in your broadcast history well the memorial cup in 2001 for the red deer rebels and not just the memorial cup that whole season i mean it was expected the team was going to be decent but they were they were better than that they were the number one team basically pillar to post from the middle of December on, never lost two games in a row. Like, never... Can you believe that? No, that's tough to believe. Although you like, look back, and so Cam Ward would have been a net nope. for that team. No. no. Cam was Ward was that? playing AAA Midget Seriously? here in Sherwood Park wow. that year. He came up and played one game that season and got a shutout. <laughs> <laughs> Rebels uh, had... I, I, one of the goalies was hurt or ill or whatever, and of course... Wardo's living right here. It's an hour and a half away. So I'm like, well, we'll bring him down. You know what? Let's start him. <laughs> Let's see how he does. Sure. Yeah, just a shutout. No big deal. Uh, it was Shane Bandera was one of the goalies. Edmonton guy. Lives here now. Uh, but this is where he's from. Uh, Shane Bandera. It was Michael Garnett for the first part of the season until the Rebels made the big trade with the Saskatoon Blades. And Garnett went the other way in that deal. So did other players. The main guy coming back was Martin Erat, who went on to a long wow, National Hockey yeah. League career. He was one of the big players coming back in that deal. And then Cam Ondrick also uh, came in that deal, too, as a goaltender. So it was uh, Bandera and Ondrick. Shane Bandera was the WHL uh, play- top playoff performer that year. And, and he had an incredible season. If you had to, as we chat with Cam Moon right now, the play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, if you had to call something other than hockey, what do you think it would be? Oh, baseball. Oh, you I think you're it a would be, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I would enjoy football uh, because I love football and I love the Eskimos. But baseball, to me, uh, it might be my favorite sport. It might be. Like, hockey's something I've been in my whole life, but... My love of baseball is uh, quite deep. And there was, uh, you know, many a night as a kid growing up, you know, listening to Al Coates call Trapper games way back and that sort of thing. And, and baseball is good for the radio. One thing happening at a time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so with that, not many opportunities to break into that market as a, as a broadcaster no. in Canada, of course. No. So that was, it was hockey just kind of the de facto for you? You grew up playing Well, it yeah, and, it's all I've ever done. Yeah. I really don't know anything else. Like... <laughs> I can't build you a house. <laughs> I, I can't fair. fix stuff for you. Uh, I'm limited. <laughs> Very limited. But we can talk hockey. But I can talk <laughs> hockey. Uh, so that excites me because obviously you're going to have some you know, pretty polarizing opinions on things or just a, a knowledge base in general. Now, you mentioned the Junior A circuit. That's where I'm sowing my yep. oats right now with the Sherwood Park Crusaders and and more the more aware i become of the junior hockey uh, area in canada the more yeah. i see that i think there's there's more of a divide if that makes sense in terms of what more options for players do you go to the ushl do you, do you 
opt out of the CHL, take the junior road, and then go off to a Div One college. Um, and and more more and more, I think we see again like these kids opting away from what was once the cream of the crop program. It I would say that it still is certainly in terms so of talent. But what's your take on this? Do you think that we're just seeing the game grow as a whole and that's part of the reason? Is it growing more in the States and that's why there's more appeal? What do you think? Maybe. I I don't know that it's changed a whole lot. Like, y- you saw the same issues and the same decisions that had to be made in the mid to late 80s as you see now. Uh, players coming up, the ones that are the elite they have the choice. Do you want to play in the Western Hockey League or the CHL? Uh, would you like to play Junior A and get an opportunity to play NCAA? Uh, they're both they're both good ways to go. And if you're a true, true elite, I mean, you're going to get to the NHL either way. Right. If you're, you know, somewhere in the middle or somewhere close, there might be a way that works better for you. Now, I can only speak about the, the Western Hockey League way. That's mm-hmm. the way I went as a player, and that's the way I've you know been involved in the game ever since. So I can talk about that, and I can talk about how good the education program is, which it is. I, mean, I look at the guys that come through and that play and then go on to play for you know, the U of A Bears or the UFC Dinos or right. Mount Royal or Nate or whatever, uh, Grant McEwen. And their experiences are, are unbelievable. And they have a lot of fun and books and tuition are paid for. I know mom and dad like that. And, of course. Uh, you know, I, I defy you to find, you know, anywhere else in sports, not just hockey, I mean sports, where you can uh, get a deal as good as that. Now, just to break it down, it's one year of school paid for per year that you play in the WHL. Is that how that works? Yep, that's right. And so it's books and tuition. Right. Yeah. For a Canadian university specifically? Yes, if you're Canadian. Right. Okay. If you're an American player playing in the WHL, then for an American school. Interesting. That sounds a lot more expensive. <laughs> well, no, but it isn't if you're a resident. Right. That, you know what okay. I mean? Then, yeah. it, then it's kind of the same-ish. <laughs> Yeah. What what makes the WHL different in your opinion now than when you played? Obviously, oh. you're having a different experience. I think things yeah. were a little more rough and tumble back in your day. But oh, if you, that's if, the if, biggest if, thing. Like now, I mean, there's the odd tilt, but there aren't a lot. Mm-hmm. There there aren't guys on the team who are going to fight their way to the National Hockey League because that. that that job doesn't really exist in the NHL anymore. It doesn't exist in junior anymore. Intimidation and physicality will always be a part of the game to some degree. Definitely it has lessened. Uh, it hasn't been legislated, like the fighting hasn't been legislated out of the game at the NHL level or the WHL level. It's just gone away. And and I think we'll continue to. Whether I don't think you got to put any rules in about it, quite honestly. It's... It's going to sort itself out here, which it's doing. To me, that's like one of the biggest things. Um, there, there was an accountability back then. I'll say that much. Like if you went around spouting your mouth off or, or chopping somebody in the back of the legs, it would catch up to you quickly. And, and so in, in 
I think that there's still there there is obviously a level of accountability that you mentioned is is never yep. going to go away. So then I look at what just happened with the Edmonton Oilers because that became the argument with the Milan Lucic for James Neal trade is what did the team just lose in terms of that intimidation factor when you first saw that news break? What did you think given what you just said? I when I first saw the news break, quite honestly, I thought this is a good deal for both teams, and I really hope that's a year from now we can go. Wow, that that's worked out really well for both because I th- I think it will. I think it addresses a need for the Oilers. I think it addresses a need for the Flames. Both guys were having a tough time where they were. Things were not working out very well, and that I didn't think it was like I I don't know that you couldn't have turned it around. Maybe you could have in both cases. But it wasn't working, and if you keep doing the same thing, you know the chances of it turning probably aren't great. And now we'll see an opportunity for both guys, new opportunity in a different situation where they'll be put in different situations. And I, I really think, and maybe, maybe I'm just a cockeyed optimist. Maybe. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I'd like to think my glass is half full. I would love to see it work out for both. It is 12.45 here in Edmonton. We've got Red Deer Rebels play-by-play voice Cam Moon here in studio. We'll press pause, come back with some more WHL talk when we return on Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Brennan Escott with you. It is Oilers Now. We've got the voice of the WHL's Red Deer Rebels, Cam Moon, in studio. And now, one of his former co-workers as well. It is producer Brad Whisker from just down the hall. So, I think that just gives us some context. You guys worked in Red Deer together. That's the relationship here? Yeah, we knew each other for about two years, off and on. Yeah, he was. I was working at the radio station that uh, that calls the games. And Cam's obviously uh, the guy behind the mic. So, that's how we linked up. Brad was on the meteoric rise in the uh, broadcast world. <laughs> it's yeah. gone on to be a big shot here at Chad. Yeah, we're all very proud of him back in Red Deer. <laughs> so, so Brad, is there any particular story about Mooner uh-huh. that kind of stands out, or just well, like, like there's working not, with him? There's not one particular story, but let's just say there were many laughs had very early in the morning. Uh, stuff that can't be talked about on the radio. Uh, one of the stories I have just about Mooner is just watching his passion and intensity calling games. He uh, he gives it 110 every night, that's for sure. I remember sitting behind him one game and this guy's standing up. He's got his hands on... He's got his hands going. He's looking at both ends of the rink. He, if there's a game... If you want to listen to a, a good game, an intense game, it's, it's listening to Mooner call one. Uh, it was a blast just watching him do his thing. I'm exhausted when it's over. Like, when the game's <laughs> over, I'm done. Like, I don't know how Bob yeah. Ridley in Medicine Hat drove the bus for all those years. Because, like, when the game's over, there's... I- I can barely drive myself home at the home games. No, for sure. And, you know, doing it in, in what is a much less intense environment at the junior A level here. It's I don't want to talk to a soul. When I'm done calling yeah. a game, that's <laughs> it. I'm You're talked done. out. I'm talked out. Uh, so, you know, we're all sports fans here. There's a plethora of things that we could cover. But Brad mentioned, and then you did, Cam, as well. You're a big baseball guy. I just want to get a couple of collective thoughts from you guys on the new look Toronto Blue Jays. We've seen them sort of offload the, the core of this team that got them to nearly the promised land a few years back. And, and now they've got some interesting pieces in place. But uh, just overall, what do you think of the job of the general managers and, and bringing some of these young kids into prominent roles? Well, the 
the young position players they've brought up have all contributed. Uh, the deal, the most recent deals that uh, saw Aaron Sanchez go out and uh, was... Um, Biagini? Yeah, Biagini went out on that yeah. deal as well, yeah. And, and Marcus Stroman right before that. It's tough to comment on those because it's bunch of prospects coming back that I mean you can read about but nobody except for the people on the real inside know a lot about them so it's it's I know a lot of people have criticized those trades it's tough to say and you need a year or two to figure out if those guys are any good so I don't know they they looks like they they might be a little light in the pitching department right now but the the young guys the the young position players are exciting to watch yeah and I just think I think I, I agree with Mooner on all that I think the one thing that can be frustrating for a lot of Jays fans right now and Brendan you and I have talked about this off air is the statement that Ross Atkins made the other day saying we are the Houston Astros in 2014 quite frankly you're nowhere near <laughs> where the Houston Astros were mm-hmm. in 2014 they were building a dynasty at that time and now here they are on paper look like they can easily win the next two World Series they should it would to me it would be a failure if the Houston Astros did not win well I hope the Dodgers take them out I'm a big Dodgers fan (laughs) I hope that's the case but you're right Houston has built an incredible club but yeah, we'll see where the Jays go. They certainly need more pitching. I mean, Bichette, Biggio, and Guerrero should all be there collectively for the next 10 years. But when you look at that rotation, there's nothing appealing. There's nothing that stands out to you right now or gives you hope going forward. I mean, Nate Pearson in the minors, but he's likely going to be a closer, maybe a long relief guy mm-hmm. at best. Yeah, so you don't throw 102 on every pitch and last very many innings. Uh, Cam, obviously working in the in the WHL, rebuilds happen every single year and, and wholesale rebuilds. I don't believe for a second that the Jays did this wholesale, and that's why I can't buy the statement that they're doing what the Astros did. The Astros were dismal for a long time. The Blue Jays seem like they're trying to shortcut here, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this again. As somebody who sees the ramifications of what happens when you really tear it down and, and really restock the the shelves with the prospects and what happens when you try and, and round that off yeah I, you you want to not have to go all the way to the bottom and i'm guessing that's what the blue jays are thinking here we don't want to drop it right to the very bottom and if we can make moves on the fly and be able to turn it around that would be great but it's baseball pitching is everything and if you don't got a lot of it you got a tough time winning so i if for, just from the outside looking in from a long ways away it just looks like they need some arms and maybe some of these guys develop i mean who knows or or some of the guys that they've they got in deals but i don't know we'll see yeah i mean we'll see (laughs) this this alex manoa kid could turn into be something their their draft pick this year he seems like he has all the tools to be a big league starter but really that's another probably two, three years away. So what do you do in between 2019 and 2022 when all these guys that they just acquired in trades will finally start seeing in the AAA level and potentially making the big leagues? And what quality will they bring to the team at the same time? Both of you guys would have been in your time of awareness when the Jays did their their couple of World Series victories back in the early 90s, right? So just walk me through what that experience was like and actually seeing this team win. Oh, that was that was glorious. I, the first J game I ever went to in person was that uh, 92 season. Uh, saw them play the Milwaukee Brewers when they were the American League. Um, and they had a, I saw a couple of games in that series, and there was a bit of a dust-up. 
in one of them. Dave Winfield comes out from the dugout, and wherever Dave Winfield went, nobody from the Brewers was close. <laughs> it was amazing to watch. Wherever he went, people were just scattering. I don't want no part of that guy. But it, that was the first time in, in my experience of going to, you could go to a, during the playoffs of, mm-hmm. of 92, you go to a pub anywhere in town, and it would be packed watching baseball. I just had never seen that before. It was always hockey. I think that's what became really frustrating for fans is, you know, they had those really great two, three years, and then it's 24 years later, and then they have another great two or three years. They don't Mm -hmm. win this time, but then everything just goes away like that. And that's exactly what happened in the lockout year in 94 in baseball. The Jays became, well... A bottom dweller for for or or yep. a mediocre team winning seventy to eighty one games on a consistent basis, but never pushing anywhere. And then it finally happens with Bautista and Encarnacion and Donaldson and Price comes in and Tulo, and it was the, this wave of excitement. And then it just all vanished one piece after another. And like you had mentioned earlier, Brendan, nobody really came back for any of those players. They either walked or they waited way too long to trade them, and they got such a minute return that they could have gotten so much for six to 12 months before that. We will get back to hockey here after the one o'clock news break, but there's been rumors, gentlemen, that Montreal is potentially a relocation spot for the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't think that can happen without a new stadium there, but Cam, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the prospect of Montreal getting another major league team? Well, if they can get a building, I agree. I don't think with the uh, the big O that's happening, but if they can get a building, it would be amazing. And that was a, a great baseball market for a real long time until after the, the 94 strike. They kind of went downhill. Still did all right there for a little bit. But then, um, you know, in the early 2000s, then it, it really went south. But I think that could be a great baseball market. I think it'd be, I think it'd look better than Tampa Bay. I yeah. mean, you know, they've struggled there quite a bit. And that's a bit of a tough building. So exactly, yeah, it'd be nice if they get a building because I think it'd do well. I think it's totally contingent on a building. I've been to the Big O before and I've sat through games there. You're, those seats are smaller than airplane seats. <laughs> so, I mean, you need to be a twig just to sit comfortably through a game in that stadium. So they need a completely new, you know, fresh facility start anew. I'm not sure how I feel about this split season right now that they've suggested could happen where Tampa would come up and play in Montreal for a couple of months and then go back to Tampa to finish the season. If you're going to commit to play baseball in a city or any sport, you're playing in that city full time. You're not going 50-50. I really hope that Montreal can get back because despite the (laughs) uncomfortable seats at the Big O, the atmosphere inside is fantastic. They're passionate. They love their ball. They love their hockey. Uh, they are trying to come around and love the CFL again, but that may take some time. But the, the Montreal fan base is a great fan base to be involved with. Well, Calgary got the arena deal done. We'll see what happens with Ottawa, and perhaps Montreal ends up with the stadium. It is uh, creeping up on 12.58. Gentlemen, I appreciate you uh, having this little reunion on air. I know it's probably pretty cool for you guys. <laughs> 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. 105 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you today. 
It is Oilers Now, and it's brought to you by Digitex. Don't spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location is digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. We can uh, keep in touch with you on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline, 780-496-0063, or the Heartland Ford Text Line, 630-630. Heartland Ford is not your small-town dealership with a huge new state-of-the-art facility. Experience the difference of Heartland Ford. We are joined in studio by Cam Moon, the play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels. So let's let's get back to the WHL a bit here. Sure. Uh, Bowen Byram goes very, very high in this in this year's entry draft. You would have seen him play a couple of times this year with the Vancouver Giants. When he's out on the ice, what goes through your head when you're calling that game? He's an amazing talent. His ability to skate the puck out of trouble, uh, to move it, to get into the play. I mean, offensively, he's one of the best that has come through at that age um yeah he is uh, to me a surefire nhler and maybe sooner than later i guess we'll see uh, how things go for him this fall he might have one more year of junior but probably be in the nhl within a year i would think it's it's wild to think, and it was interesting to see Colorado be the team that drafted yeah. him, given that they had taken Kale McCarr, who looks like he's got a limitless ceiling in terms of what he can do. Uh, I know you probably wouldn't have seen too too much of Kale uh, playing in the junior ranks because he was playing in the in the Alberta Junior League at the time. But in Brooks, I'm sure, right? I, exactly. In Brooks. Yeah. So, but I'm sure you've seen highlights yeah. and and would understand that there's got to be some pretty serious similarities in those two and how they play the game. Oh yeah, and you know you look at what McCarr did last year, stepping in in the in the playoffs and making it look so easy, uh, that absolutely seamless, like he had been in the league for years. That that's hard to do, and it's really hard to do at that position. When mistakes are made, they're often glaring, and he didn't make many. Uh, Bowen Byram is is along those lines, so I, I think he is is not going to spend a ton of time away from the NHL. Maybe one more year of junior, maybe, and then probably stepping in at that point. I don't know if he'll see American League time or not. Who else out of the WHL are you looking forward to watching this season? Obviously, Kirby Doc, uh, Dylan yeah. Cousins, those those other high draft picks, but there's got to be a couple other names out there. Yeah, uh, Peyton Krebs. I mean, he's. I know he had the that off-season surgery here, yeah. so it might keep him out for a bit. But he is a dynamic player, and and that team. I I heard you talk about him on my uh, drive in. Now moving from Cranbrook to Winnipeg, but they're they're they've had the last couple of seasons been awfully tough for him, but they are now starting on the upswing. Um, but yeah, those guys are are right up there for for top level guys. I mean, any of the players that are right now at the the Gretzky Halinka, uh, those are kids that played last season as 16 year olds, but they're like the best of the best uh, of the WHL ones. Obviously, all of them, but uh, the WHL ones are the ones that we see. Uh, they're going to step in and now be, in, for the most case, draft eligible, and we'll have the spotlight on them for this year. Which is in the draft eligible season is a tough season because you have that spotlight on mm-hmm. you and you. You know, you read what you read, and uh, the the central scouting service rankings come out, and you know they everybody sees those, and and the players see those, and and they want to you know do the best that they can. Those guys that all be a, a part of it. That Connor McLennan that uh, plays in well Winnipeg now, mm-hmm. 
very fun player uh, to watch. Uh, Jake Neighbors here with the the Edmonton Oil Kings. Wow, what a what a playoff run! I, I got to see after the the Rebels lost out in the first round to the Prince Albert Raiders. I was able to see a lot of Oil King games. Um, saw one in the Medicine Hat series. Uh, saw three out of four in the Calgary series. Two here and, and one down in Calgary. And then all the home games against Prince Albert in the third round. And to me, Jake Neighbors really impressed me. You know, watching where he was at the start of the year to where he was at the end. Uh, I thought he made great strides. He's a big, strong player. And he's got a nose for the net. Not surprising. I, when he played in the Alberta Midget Hockey League, he was uh, he was one of the top guys with the Calgary Buffaloes, and you know very good with his age group. So that leads you to believe that you know, when he's 18, 19, will be one of the top scorers in the league. He is over in uh, Braklov in Slovakia, mm-hmm. representing Canada at the World, uh, not the World, the Holinka Gretzky yeah. Cup. Um, we're going to hear from him at 135 as well, but I understand you've actually been to this city. Yeah. So tell me about that. Uh, in 2012, Hockey Canada was looking for a media relations guy to go to the World U18 Championships, which are held in April. And that year, Rebels didn't make the playoffs. And Jesse Wallen was the head coach of the Rebels at that time. He now scouts for, it was St. Louis up till now. Now he's with the Detroit Red Wings. So he was coaching the team. Um, Todd Gill was an assistant. Uh, Gordy Dwyer was an assistant. Ron Tugnut was the goalie guy. And we went over to to Brno and Breklov. Breklov's only about 30 minutes from Brno. And some of the games, you know, they were kind of back and forth a bit. So I got to be a part of that. Although, to be honest, all the media relations was done in Canada when we had the training <laughs> camp in Toronto. And we get over there, and you're at the World U18 Championships, which, you know, that's a big deal. These are, like, the best players, for the most part, that are draft eligible, with the exception of some of the CHL guys that are still playing in the playoffs. But, you know, if the European players, they're all there, and all the American players are there. Well, it's not a lot of media. <laughs> so I... There wasn't a lot for me to do. So, yeah, I had to make stuff up. <laughs> what What is the city like? What is the vibe like over there? Oh. I imagine the architecture is dramatically oh, yeah. different, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, in the big cities. We were in Prague for three days, practiced there and played an exhibition game. Prague was beautiful. Brno is the second largest city in Czech Republic. It is absolutely gorgeous. Breklav is pretty small. Uh, it's... About 30 minutes from Brno, if you were going straight towards uh, Bratislava and Slovakia. But yeah, the architecture is amazing. The people were great. Food was unreal. And yeah, everything about it. I And I could see why uh, guys from the Czech Republic, after their National Hockey League careers are done, would go back. I could see why. First of all, the cost of living's not high. Uh, the cost of just about everything wasn't very high, so your dollar would go a lot farther. But it is a beautiful part of the world, and uh, it was fun. While we were there, we had some guys that had played for the Rebels that were from the Czech Republic and one from Slovakia, and they all came to visit us, which was really cool to see them kind of on their home turf mm-hmm. after they had spent time in Red Deer. You know, It brings the world smaller if you will, uh, but a great country, and it's just it's fun to see that rink on TV, knowing I, I was in that thing at one point. Canada's been dominating through yeah. the first three games. Uh, the only surprise to me there, I think, was them beating Finland so handily. I think it was a 6-1 victory to open the preliminary round, then they knock off Switzerland, then they knock off the Czechs yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, yep. so... 
Uh, you're talking about some of the WHL's cream of the crop, but you get the cream of the crop across Canada, and somebody's texted us, uh, and specifically you. All right. Uh, out of Edmonton asking what you think of uh, Quentin uh, Byfield, if you've seen any of him play, and I'm sure you saw the goal yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, my viewing of him is extremely limited, mm-hmm. so I, I don't have a lot, but yeah, he's... You know, any of those guys that are on that team, like that's, and that's the beauty of this tournament is they're all, you can get everybody. Whereas the the U18s at the end of the year, I mean, some of the guys, not just in the Western League, but across uh, the OHL and the Quebec Major Junior League, they're still playing in the playoffs. So you don't get all of them. It's not a, a you know, true Team Canada in, in April, whereas this one is, and uh, you get to see them. You know, it was great to have this event you know, between Edmonton and Red Deer last year. Uh, a lot of fun, uh, you know, great hockey. And, you know, Canada had the had a, a great finish too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was. it's a lot of fun to be around and uh, to have it here. Chatting with the Red Deer Rebels play-by-play voice, Cam Moon. Um, so when these players return to their teams and we, we kick off the 2019-2020 WHL season, is there a team that might be favored to take down the league this year? Prince Albert, uh, they kind of sold the farm and made Not their Not really. They didn't, they though. Didn't? No, they're, I think they're still going to be decent. Now, yeah, they move a lot on, but they're not going to drop right to the bottom. Not like Swift Current did. Right. Swift Current, were, they definitely pushed all their chips to the middle a few years ago. They won the league. Good for them. But it was, it was a tough season last year. It's probably going to be tough again this year. I think Prince Albert, they won't be right at the top, but they'll be somewhere in the middle. They, they actually got quite a bit coming back. But the team that I like, uh, certainly in the Eastern Conference, is the Calgary Hitmen. Interesting. They're, they're going to be good. They got a lot. Um, you know, their their goaltending last year. You know, they had injuries, and then they, you know, they had uh, Jake McNaughton play so well for them, and the development time that he got as a 17 year old, absolutely huge, and the amount of scoring they got coming back. Uh, then they make the trade for uh, the defenseman uh, Jet Wu. Mm-hmm. He is he is really good. Like he's got a you know he's a world junior guy and he's he moves the puck very well, uh, gets into the play well. Uh, they're going to be a handful in the Eastern Conference. To me, I think they got to be the odds-on favorite going in. I saw Saskatoon had a really good, solid yep. season last year. Only 15 regular season losses, if I'm not mistaken. Do you think they have a chance out of the East as well? Well, depend on if Kirby Doc is back. That's kind of the if if he comes back from Chicago, yeah, they're right in that mix. And Nolan Meyer, outstanding goaltender. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they've got some they've got some pieces up front uh, that make them uh, very good. And they had a good year last year. They return a lot, but that's going to be kind of the big question. Is and I'm sure he'll get a very long look. I'm sure he'll see the preseason and probably some regular season. And if he doesn't. Uh, doesn't come back well that's it's hard to replace a guy like that because he's pretty good what can we expect out of the red deer rebels coming up this season rebels return a lot on the back end uh defense should be pretty strong even though alexander alexiev will move on to the washington capitals organization he was a first round pick of them a year ago 
I, I would think he'll start in the American League, but I think Alex, within a year or two, will be a National Hockey League defenseman. He played World Juniors last year for Russia. Up front, a lot of scoring moves on. Uh, Brandon Hagel, who's from around this area, he signed a free agent deal with the Chicago Blackhawks last year. He'll play in the, I would think he'll start in the American League. We'll see how that goes. But uh, between him, uh, Reese Johnson and Jeff DeWitt, those were the 320s last year. They were all forwards. They all did a lot of scoring. And then along with Alexiev, that's a lot of scoring moving out. So that means the group that comes back, still a lot, there'll be a lot of players back, but everybody's going to have to do a little bit more offensively. So I, I think that's going to be a big part of it. And that's going to be kind of the, the question. You know, if they, if they do improve offensively, It'll give a team a chance to be, you know, in the upper half. If they don't, it's going to be tough, but I see them somewhere in the middle. The Oil Kings obviously have some players coming up yep. that are likely going to transform themselves into top-tier scorers, but that's to make up for what I can only assume is going to be the loss of Trey fix Volansky and him being the offensive catalyst last year. They ended the season, as you know, Cam, on an 11-0 run. They The regular season, they did damage in the playoffs beyond what I think most people, and, and tongue-in-cheek, people within the organization perhaps might even have um, exceeded expectations for them. So coming into this season, can they repeat that? kind of performance i think they got a really good team coming back uh, no, with a player as dynamic as fix Wolanski likely playing pro and I, I think that is the most likely scenario it's tough to replace it for sure but you got jake neighbors coming into year two and you know what he brings to the party and that's only going to get better uh, their defense solid goaltending was was pretty good so to me, they're an upper half team in the Eastern Conference. Like even with that graduation of some guys, there was just there's so, there's still a lot coming back. I think uh, Calgary's got a little more on the scoring end, but Edmonton to me is in the mix of the upper half of the Eastern Conference. I'm sure the fans around here will be happy to hear that. I, I want to get one more thought. So the the franchise moves from. Uh, Kootenai, where it really yeah. struggled on a lot of fronts, to Winnipeg now. Right move, in your opinion, for, for the franchise to step into that market? And I kind of look at Winnipeg and wonder, I know there's a lot of competition there for, for eyes and that sort of thing, but I, I wonder why they weren't able to keep one afloat previously. So what, what are you forecasting here? Well, uh, as far as the move goes, I, you know, Cranbrook, for as long as they were there, what were they there, 21 years uh, after moving from Edmonton, right. they were Edmonton Ice. They played the first two years in that small memorial arena. Oh, boy, that was something. Uh, and then they got the, the <laughs> rink built. That It's about 4,200 seats. Unfortunately, it's a little big for a town of that size. Cranbrook, it's not a big place. It's maybe 20,000 people. And there's not like a huge drawing area around there. I and mean, Kimberly's close, but they got a junior B team that has a pretty good following in the mm. Kimberly Dynamiters. Right. So that was tough to compete against. So I understand the move from a business point of view, and I also understand it when um, when you're building your own rink in the southwest part of town that they are doing. So they're going to play a couple years in the building uh, that's that's be, they're renoing it right now, but it's at, on the University of Manitoba. So they'll play a couple of years in in that rink while the rink they're building in the corner of town is is being put up. So you know from that point of view, like. Business point of view, it looks like a really good move. I guess you know time will tell, but I I think I think they've they've got a good handle on what they're doing. Can they carve out their own niche in a, a market where 
The junior team's not owned by the National Hockey League club, unlike Edmonton, unlike Calgary. They're going to do it a little more like Vancouver, where the the Giants are not owned by the Canucks. Mm -hmm. We'll see if they can do that. And I wish them well. I hope it works well. Uh, Yeah, the Winnipeg Warriors moved after, was it the 83-84 season to Moose Jaw, and they've been a Moose Jaw ever since. We'll see if the, the time is right now to have a junior team in the city of Winnipeg and can be successful. One more CHL yeah. thought from you. This was uh, one of the headlines of the last little while here. They get a full-time president for yeah. the whole league, not the WHL, but the CHL. Dan McKenzie stepping into that role as the first full-time president. Uh, in your opinion, does that mean much? Does it, what, what it changes could we see, or is it going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff? Yeah, I would think a lot of behind-the-scenes, a lot of business stuff um, to make the, the CHL continue to... To grow, I think, as a business and as a uh, a great option for elite hockey players to pursue professional goals and pursue educational goals, and I, I think that's where you're going to see the the impact of a move like this. So, yeah, and, and you know, over the last season, I would say, you know, all across the league, the attendance was down a little bit, and and hopefully they're able to turn that around from a league point of view uh, coming up this year. And maybe a, a new president at the CHL level helps out with that. I don't know. But, but yeah, we'd like to see that be on the upswing for sure. All right. We will come back uh, from a quick timeout here. We'll get your thoughts on the Eskimos, and we'll wrap up with Cam Moon from the Red Deer Rebels when we return on Oilers Now. This is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. 24 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you today on Oilers Now. Joined in studio by Cam Moon. We'll wrap it up, Mooner, with this. I know you're an Eskimos guy. I am. You're a big CFL guy. You're heading to the game tomorrow. Yes. Um, What are your thoughts on what's kind of been an up and down season for the Eskimos so far? The defense looks good. They get it done at home. Mm -hmm. The road's a different story. The road's a different story. I thought the special teams really struggled in Calgary on Saturday. That was a little frustrating. And the run game didn't have a whole lot going on Saturday either. So let's hope that tomorrow that all changes. I know they made a a trade for a kick returner this week with Saskatchewan. Let's hope the special teams is better. Let's hope the run game is significant. You know that the defense, night in, night out, is going to be pretty good. One of the best in in the CFL for sure. I just, yeah. I don't under, I don't know the, the, all the parameters between home and road and why there would be such a difference, but it sure has looked. I mean, the Winnipeg game, the Montreal game, the Calgary game, it just felt like it was slightly off. Like, not way off, Mm. but slightly off. Maybe way off in that first half against Calgary. That was a little tough. But the second half, I mean, they they showed some improvements. Uh, I hope they figure that out. If they do, they're one of the the best teams in the league. If they don't, well, it's going to be tough. I wonder because you look at the new look offense under Trevor Harris yeah. and it, everything is is so much based on the timing and those quick routes for the wide receivers and if you don't have that kind of uh, fluidity that that chemistry like you do at home you know it was it was 40 degrees when they were playing in Montreal right so I'm, I'm wondering how much of that because it's a very intricate timing based offense if your guy's a little sluggish on that route maybe that makes the difference yeah so. maybe yeah it was really hot and humid in that Montreal game but hey both teams are playing in it so you better figure something out so I, I hope to see a strong 
run game tomorrow. I'd like to see C.J. Gable all over the place and uh, a great effort by the Eskimos, and hopefully the weather holds. <laughs> I'm hoping for that too. <laughs> Give me your thoughts. So Mike Riley departs for yeah. BC, and they're they're riding the struggle bus oh. down there on the West Coast. A uh, little bit of sweet serendipity for some fans, I think, but what's your stance on that? Well, I, I'm sad to see him go, but I understood it. You know, I, from um, from his family point of view, I understand why he left. Uh, I really, really thought BC was going to be good, and uh, that O line has not given him any help at all. No. Boy, he's just every time like he is running for his life. And the fact that they're not good, I hate to say, I do kind of like it a little. Like, I don't think like I'm not loving it. Like, if the riders were awful, that I would love like so much more. <laughs> but, but I am liking this one a little bit, and. Uh, if if they don't make the playoffs, I'm not going to be too upset by it. Does is that a somewhat I, I, politically correct way to say it? Yes. Because I'm not like <laughs> I'm not loving that they're not really good. But mm-hmm. yeah, if the riders were not good, that I would love. We'll we'll end with this. We've yeah. got a texter. We got Uh-oh. a texter and millet. Millet. Yeah. Can Good we can, can can we confirm that Mooner's favorite song is "I Think We're Alone Now" oh. by Tiffany? You go to one Tiffany concert in 1987, (laughs) and you never hear the end of it. Spectacular stuff. Cam, I really appreciate you taking an hour of your time here today in Edmonton. Enjoy the game tomorrow night, and we'll certainly catch up with you soon. Okay, thanks for having me on. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.